0: Now I'm an actor. Five movies under my belt, six TV shows, constantly booking. I'm a working actor now. Sometimes in life, we're just not ready. And I get to do all these things because people are like, you can't possibly do all this. Or the traditionalists will be saying the industry doesn't work that way. You can't do it like this. And I'll be like, you know what? You're right. But hey. <laughs> a- I'm not trying to do everything. I'm trying to prepare for everything. Like, oh man, that makes sense. And I just shake my head because I'm like, doing everything is preparing for everything. (laughs) Preparation is everything. I don't prepare for something that I don't plan on doing. I don't plant a seed if I don't do the preparation because I'm looking for mastery.
1: Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is DC Glenn, CEO of CLG Investments, Inc., and you may know him from when he made music history as DC, the brain supreme of tag team with his multi-platinum hit single and album, Whoop! there it is. DC Glenn is a multi-talented musician, producer, DJ, marketer, and all-around businessman. He has his own digital marketing company called CLG Investments, Inc. DC Glenn is half of the 90s hip-hop duo tag team which made the song, Woomp, There It Is. Currently, he is featured in the popular Geico commercial, Scoop, There It Is. I don't know about you, but this is a fan favorite in the Sprung household. D.C. Glenn excels in voice acting booking and is one of the top urban voices for Apple's iTunes radio. And in addition, he is one of the most well-known DJs in Atlanta. D.C. Glenn has worked from the ground up to develop a rewarding business and nowadays is strengthening his enterprise to a level seen by few. An entrepreneur at heart, he has a passion for empowering, educating, and leaving a legacy of inspiration behind for his fellow artists or anyone who hopes to succeed in the music industry or any endeavor their heart desires. Listen in for some great takeaways about how this legendary musician has turned one of the biggest records ever recorded into a life as an entrepreneur and not to mention being in one of the most memorable commercials of all time. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the unbelievable pleasure today of being with DC Glenn, CEO of CLG Investments, Inc., and you also may know him from when he made music history as DC, the brain supreme of tag team. Welcome to the show today, DC. Good to be here. Oh, it's awesome to have you, and I want to give our listeners an understanding. I know, because I'm a big fan, but I was hoping that you could share with everyone and our listeners who you are and your path to how you got to where you are today.
0: All right. Well, my name is DC Glenn, other known as DC, the Brain Supreme of Tag Team. I am an entertainer. I've been a DJ for 30 years. When I was young, I met my boy Steve Rowland in high school. And our last names were G, so we sat next to each other. And he had a band, and they were playing the quad sometimes. And I was like, ooh, I got to be in that band. <laughs> I was musically inclined because I sang in the choir. My parents made me go to piano cl- practice and play the trumpet. And, I, you know, that was cool, but that's not really what I really was into. They made me do that, but that's cool. And also, in high school, I worked in um, the truancy office, and down the hall, there was a choir that just sang beautiful music. I was like, I got to be in that choir. And I went to my first high school dance at that school. And I seen the first time I ever saw two turntables and a mixer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a DJ. <laughs> and I became proficient in all three. Went to college at Sac State University. Learned how to use a four track recorder. For those who don't know, you know, everybody just goes into their computer and makes a song. Now we used to have to earn it. We used to I hit- think I had an eight track at my hey, house hey, when hey, I was hey, hey. growing up. For those who don't know, cassette tape. <laughs> You had a cassette tape, and you put it in this contraption, and you got four tracks. (laughs) So you had to make whatever you wanted to make in those four tracks. And my boy Johnny Z, he didn't know how to use it. I was like, I learned how to use it. And my boy had a drum machine. I made some beats. Then I just started just making up stuff, beating pots and pans, screaming, (laughs) yelling, playing flutes, whatever I could do to make a song. Right. But I made songs. I made like ten of them. I sent them to Steve. He thought I was in a devil worship. And, uh, uh, but he was like, man, but that's cool that you was able to make a song. And then I was in at Sacramento, he was in Denver and then he moved to Atlanta and I became better at all those things, DJing, uh, writing lyrics, the whole nine went down to Atlanta, loved it just to visit and packed up everything after school, went to Atlanta, was supposed to work at CNN and got a job at a club called magic city, which is an <laughs> entertainment club and also had jobs at regular clubs. And that was when Atlanta was the best-kept secret. That's back when Bobby Brown got there, Babyface got there, L.A. Reed, right. All the people. Deion Sanders' first year was there, right? Mm. And I'll never forget it because the weekend that I went to Magic City just to chill, the DJ was terrible. <laughs> and I think he was drunk. I don't know. But that was the night we went to see Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. And that Monday, I get a job as a DJ. By the end of the week, I'm the head DJ now everybody knows who I am because that was the number one club in the city. So fast forward, 1992, we were always making music, but I knew we were never going to be able to get out of the Southeast if we didn't make up-tempo music, bo- you know, booty shake or bass music. Right. So I went to Steve and said, man, we got to make something up-tempo. He's like, I love that type of music, but I can't, that's hard for me to make. I was like, don't think that thing, Planet Rock, Egyptian Lover, the old school electronics <laughs> stuff. And- The first attempt of us doing this was, "Wound there it is, because I was already writing that song. And we went to the studio in August of 92, and I went to work that night, popped a cassette in, and to this day, that is the biggest response on any record I've ever played. And I've been DJing for 30 years. So fast forward, all the labels are talking to me, because I hustle, right? I network, I know how to get things done. Plus, all the record labels who had representatives knew me, right? So when they would come in, they were like, what is that? And I was like, that's my new record. He's like, give me that. I'm going to New York. Next thing you know, Columbia Records, Epic Records, all of them are hollering at me, but they didn't know what to do with it because back then it was just New York and L.A., right? And I almost gave up. Not really, but I just got tired of people playing with me. Right. And a young lady named Lisa McCall told me to call a gentleman named Al Bell. For those who don't know who Al Bell is, back in the day, at the beginning of Soul Music, there were three record companies, Philly International, Motown, Barry Gordy, and Stax Records with Al Bell. And the year before, boom, there it is, he had put out a record called Daisy Dukes by Deuce. And it went gold. I was like, let me call him because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy with gold. I'm happy just to get a record deal. With mm-hmm. this right. And I called him, took him about two weeks to call. And I was like, you know, he called me and I was like, look, dude, we've got a hit record. I've tested it. I mean, the biggest clubs in the country, you got to sign us. He's like, okay. I was like, uh, don't play with me. <laughs> He's like, I was like, you haven't even heard the record. He's, I'll never forget these words. He said, brother, I don't have to hear the record. I hear it in your spirit. Let's agree to agree and get this thing moving. And I was like, okay. And gave my two weeks in Magic City, signed a messed up record deal. And in a month and a half, tag team was platinum. And the rest Amazing. Is history. Yeah.
1: Amazing. From an entrepreneurial standpoint, I hear a lot of common themes between being an entrepreneur and what you went through, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of being persistent, getting to that point where you almost give up, and being even more persistent, right? Oh, we've to the we have continuing. Yeah. purpose. yeah. To <laughs> so, so listen. I mean, how does it feel to have one of the biggest records ever recorded in music? Is work. <laughs> right? Because- We don't see that, right? We're, no, no. As, as the end consumer, we don't see that. We don't know about that.
0: Because I worked in the clubs and I was always popular, I didn't need that attention, right? So that's not what drove me. What drove me was the learning part of it, right? And we made some bad decisions just because we didn't know. I'm blessed. So for me to give back is my responsibility. And all I'm trying to do is talk to people, anybody who's willing to listen, about the things I wish somebody had told me when I was a young man. I might not have listened, but <laughs> at least I w- would have known because I've always listened to people, even if I didn't agree, right? That's the key. And we got into a legal battle after the record company went bankrupt. And, like, where's my money? And I'm thinking I could fight a record company with the money that they gave me. And then I soon realized, hey, wait a minute, they're just going to bleed you to death, right? So what happened is they went bankrupt. And then another record company bought it out of bankruptcy, but they, stole the wrong part of it. So that's when the court case ensued, and then we were the ponds in the middle. And I was just like, I'm gonna let you guys deal with this, but I'm not gonna sit back idly. And in my life, whenever there was a traumatic situation or something didn't go my way, I just look at the glass half full instead of the glass half empty. So I could have easily became an old bitter rapper, but then where would I be now? Right? right. And I said, and I always vowed that will never happen to me again. So I basically became a paralegal. I learned what the case was about. I learned how to do how to make a motion. I learned that you have to go through several circuit courts all across the country just to find somebody to even take the case. You're going to get denied over and over again. They went through 50 motions to get that that lawsuit into court. And all that time, I'm going through case law, case discovery. I'm putting together a discovery file just immaculate with every date, every piece of paper, everything we had. And that's part of not looking at the negative side, but all I do is think solutions, right? right? So I love when people come to me with problems and come to me complaining all the time. And I love when people give me excuses because that's an opportunity to make a solution, to put it in your toolbox for later. And then you've acquired this skill to at least combat that thing when it hits you, because life is baked in the cake, right? And Things are going to happen. So, you can't get mad when things happen. You just have to be prepared for when things happen. So, as time goes along, your initial question was, How does it feel? Well, like 2003, I'm sitting in the movie theater and all of a sudden, Will Ferrell's on the table dancing to Wump. There it is in the movie Elf. Mm-hmm. And right then, I knew I had an evergreen product, I knew I had a forever hit record, and it was up to me to get my money because the first rule is nobody's going to give you anything. Nobody's gonna teach you anything. You gotta go get it. Right. And shortly after I'm doing all the paralegal stuff, or just, you know, I'm just doing my due diligence and the best I can. I said, I'm not going through this money thing anymore. So I said, Well, how can I learn finance? So I became a licensed commodities broker, right? <laughs> took the series three, failed the first time, because I I just took it just to see what was on it, then passed the second time. And then I actually worked at three firms while I was DJing the clubs because I, the record company depleted all my money. So I had to go back to work, but I was still making a bunch of money because I'm DJing in the clubs. It's always easy money. So that's kind of how CLG Investments Inc. formed because I couldn't be a broker because I was selling financial services that I had nothing to do with or knew nothing about. And I had the people. And I wanted to start a hedge fund because I knew everybody. I knew Dion, I knew Dominique, you know, I knew all these people. And I was like, well, I don't know nothing about no hedge fund. Well, how can I learn about a hedge fund? So what I did is I just started calling hedge fund, you know, management companies. And I was like, Hey, how you doing? My name is DC from tag team or song. There it is. And that's, <laughs> all, that's the only time I use it Right, right. Get to get into a boardroom. And I end up You know, like, yeah, I know what that song is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, hey, got a hedge fund I'm trying to put together. And I'd like to see if you guys would, you know, like to do the management. And I had meetings in four or five cities. And the first one was in Las Vegas. And I'm in this boardroom. And they're fanboying me real, you know, introductions are always like that. And I'm like, why should I let you guys run my hedge fund? And they just laid it out. But what they didn't realize is while they were pitching me, They were teaching me. Right. And that's what I do with everything. Right. And I realized that a hedge fund wasn't for me because I'm emotional about money. Right. So I needed another approach. But like there's collateral damage, I call it collateral sprinkles because year 2000, I will look at CNBC to know what they were talking about. Right. Year 2002, I knew everything they were talking about. Right. But what is CLG investments today? That's the next phase because once I realized I had already had CLG investment Scenes, because that's what that was about, but I didn't want to change it. So I said, we'll do it like this. Let's start because that's when I was in the whole self-help thing. Anthony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Robert T. Kiyosaki, the whole nine. And I said, one of those tapes was like, run your life like a corporation. And that's what I did. So I'm the entity, run it like a corporation. So well, how do you do that? Well, you got to figure out what type of corporation you are. So I got Assad help for that. I had an incredible tax guy, so he helped out with that. And then he was like, well, you need a bookkeeper. You need this, you need that. The bookkeepers weren't doing good. So I paid somebody to teach me how to use QuickBooks, which was the key because I know where every penny goes now. Mm -hmm. And I think, and then maybe two years later, I'm doing good. You know, I'm learning and I'm doing my thing, but I'm still DJing. I'm taking my money. I said, I got to start investing. And I'll never forget it. I was going to get some soap at at this place. The guy's real good soap. And across the way, there's an Edward Jones. And this beautiful lady named Amanda, I walked in. I was like, I need some investment help. And she's like, well, we'll sit down. And we came up with a plan to where I could just fill a bunch of little buckets. I got the corporation. So start taking some of that money that you make, because I was making all cash because I'm at the clubs. Right. Take that money, dump it into our little buckets. So you got your SEP IRAs, you got your Roths, you got your, you know, certain hedge funds you want to be a part of that are slow growth. All those things that I know I'm always going to make money. And it worked. And that just elevated my IQ as far as investing. And like I said, every time something gets in my way or something traumatic happens to me, I vow it will never happen again, and I will learn everything I have to learn to make sure it doesn't happen to me again. So now we're floating along. I'm doing all my stuff. I'm we're doing we're doing about maybe seven shows a year because we're just doing the NBA stuff and you know halftime shows and whatnot, and just going through this legal battle. And it was painful because, you know, if you don't have the rights to your music and everybody else is making money off of it, but you, the incentive is not there to go hard for it. But I put that in the back of my head and just went hard for it. And that's how I've always made money because we make that record. So that's our record. Yeah. We'll get the money for it.
1: Yeah. So I got to ask you, because I come from a family of hockey guys. I played Mm -hmm. hockey. Both my boys play hockey. Yep. And when I told my kids that we were going to have this conversation today, they said, hey, his song was used in the Mighty Ducks.
0: Yep. Yep. Mighty Ducks and I was too. like,
1: oh. so?" And we went back and we found the clip. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask you, was that used with your permission and you got compensated for that? Or is that tied up in that whole That was tied up in battle? the whole
0: thing. Wow, amazing. Everything we've ever done has been tied up in that. But if you look at it that way, it's heartbreaking. But if you look at it the other way, it's like this opportunity to network, this opportunity to meet people, this opportunity, to go get your money, this opportunity to go to these booking agents and say, look, I'm in the Mighty Ducks. You need to get us some shows, right? Or we need to get more of this and more of that to where we can work as the entity tag team, as opposed to being connected to the, the song Whoop There it is. And it was brutal because, I mean, we had Huggies commercials, Reese's Pieces. We had well, you actually had a Geico commercial six years ago. Right. The barbecue commercial. Not the new one. The new okay. one we we're in. But the other one's Barbecue winner. right? It was in that. It's in Walmart. Like, all these big brands, right? And fast forward to, like, 2011. I get a call at the club from this lady. They're like, D.C., does this lady want to talk to you? Like, you can't take a number? She's like, she wouldn't go on, D.C. I was like, man, which one of these women? Hmm. But then it was like, let me go. I was like, look, man, please just call me tomorrow morning because it was on a Saturday. Call me on Sunday. And there was a reporter from the New York Times. And she was like, have you looked at the have you seen the Gawker article? And I was like, no, she was like, the world is is trending that everybody thinks Barack Obama was in your music video (laughs) because they took a a snap of, of a guy that looked just like a young Barack Obama and. Once she got it, she told everybody else. I, I, we did press for like two weeks, ABC, NBC, Stephen Colbert's show. I mean, the list is just, just phenomenal. And I was upset at the end because I had nothing to show for it. And that's when my SEO career started—search engine optimization, the ability to get on the first page of Google when you need to, right? right. And it took me ten years. But I was like, you know, when I am, I'm different because. I think I learned this like during that uh, self-help time. There was this book where this guy, he wanted to have a pie shop. So he was like, well, let me go work at a pie store. So he's the dishwasher. He he worked his way up, learned how a whole pie system worked and then quit. Then he started his own pie shop. Then he franchised it. Then he sold it for $20 million, right? Mm -hmm. And he called that process being in the corridor. So I said, well, let me do that. So while I'm at these clubs, let me be their marketing manager. So I do, I, I'm not just a DJ. I'm your sound guy. I'm your light guy. I do your graphics arts. I do your radio spots. I do your television spots. I do your fashion photography for the girls. I do everything. I do the job of 10 people, right? And I had such a good, I had such good bosses that they would fund my education to go learn how to do these things. So I made myself invaluable. And that's what I try to tell people now. All you know, I have friends that, working these dead-end jobs, it's like it's not a dead-end job. Learn how to do your supervisor's job. Learn yeah. how to do, learn how to do everybody's job in that place. I ain't about to do all that work. You look at that the wrong way. If you do that, it's not that you're doing extra work. You're getting your education. So if the boss comes in and says, hey, she ain't here. Can somebody do this? Be like, I got it. Right. You're always going to be the one to be like, I got it. You're always going to be relevant that you're way. You're always going right? to be relevant.
1: Obviously, this was a huge battle for you, but you've mm. always looked at it from the right side of the coin, right? And from the glass half full perspective, yeah. you know, how did you find, how did you end up making your way back and fighting your way back to success with the scoop? There it is. I mean, that was named ad of the year by ad week. How did you get there? How did that ad come to
0: be? So that starts in 2011 SEO. Cause back then you type in tag team, it was all wrestling. You type in tag team today. It's all tag team. Mm. You see what I'm saying? And during the pandemic, August 2020, I get a call from my agent because I'm an actor at the people store, acting and voice over there, my agent in Atlanta. And Lena's like, DC, you just booked a Geico commercial. And I was like, why are you playing with me in, a, in this this pandemic? I haven't even auditioned. And she was like, no, they want... not There it is. And I was like, oh, no. so I went and checked my phone because I have a tag team phone. And there was the message. And because I, present everywhere. They went to my IMDB, found my agents. So the synergy is just bananas. And I let my agents make the deal. And it is the biggest, most lucrative deal I've ever made in my life. Right. And that was the easy part. The hard part was, okay, now you got to prepare because I'm an actor. I prepared. And I said, I want to go in with five or six things to make this commercial, to put my imprint on it. And the night before we had a, uh, fitting with the producer and the director. I said, I got a couple ideas. And he was like, Man, whatever you guys want to do. And I was like, well, I was trying to get a spinning scoop done, but couldn't get it done. It's like, DC, will be done tomorrow. I was like, whoa, okay. I was like, you know, I know kids love sprinkles. I don't know why, but they love sprinkles. <laughs> I want to do all these little sprinkles. He said, DC, we will have a truckload of sprinkles there for you. We do this kind of thing. And we just went, I went through my list. And the next day we had, it was a tag team party. We had energy. It was cast perfectly and we had a All all day.
1: Do you feel like this was redemption for what you went through in the past with the album itself and what you went through with the record company? Clearly, it was the result of a lot of hard work and
0: perseverance along the way, but... No, because that puts you in a mind frame of something else. My whole goal is always take one opportunity and turn it into 10, right? So I just didn't do a Geico commercial. You see what I'm saying? Right. It's during the pandemic, so... If I was going to get any benefit from it, we would be able to do a bunch of shows, but it was in a pandemic, so there were no shows. So I said, well, let me get, let me figure out what I can do. I said, let me get a publicist to blow up my acting and my voiceover and all the things that I do. And no publicist wanted to work with me because we're in a pandemic. And I said, you know, and this is one of the things that is critical for me is whenever I get, somebody tells me no or whenever I get stuck, I join an organization, society, or Association, because those entities are filled with people who have been doing their profession and love it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And they can't wait to tell you everything. So I joined the Public Relations Society of America. Super Bowl week, that Wednesday, I'm on a podcast with the CEO of this firm. And I asked, I raised my hand. I was like, our press release is still relevant? Because I had a press release I hadn't dropped yet. And they're like, well, what's it for? I'm like, well, I'm kind of featured in a national Geico commercial called Scoop. There it is. And I'm just looking at the chat blow up. Wait a minute, what's he doing here? That's not him. <laughs> Oh my God, my grandmother loves that. Oh, it it just now the whole thing is about me. Now I've got their attention. And the CEO's like, yes, that thing is gonna work because the whole last year's been COVID. And the whole last year has been political. And you hear you guys come spinning scoops and throwing sprinkles and DC your smile, you can go here for all the TV talk shows you're going to go here for all the journalists you're going to go for here for all the publicists go here for all the podcasters make sure your pitches is like this she gave me the entire breadth of her experience in 10 minutes and it has changed my life forever and is the reason that you and I are talking right now
1: so where did you get this mindset of learning cuz clearly from very early on to today and continues in the future you clearly have this mindset that you will either find people that will help get you there, or you're going to learn it yourself if you can't find those right folks. And it seems like you've more heavily relied upon your own ability to learn and absorb and create.
0: Where did that stem from? I just don't quit. (laughs) I don't quit ever. You
1: don't have a family of educators behind you or something? Yeah,
0: definitely. And I owe everything to my mother and my father because they worked me and my brother like a dog, right? Like, I've been stemming collard greens and shucking peas since I was five years old. My mother, had a <laughs> cut cook. my dad made me cut the lawn, cut the hedges, wash his car, shovel the snow because I'm from Denver.
1: So worst case, you had a career in landscaping. If none of this worked out, it sounds like.
0: <laughs> I a, yeah, I had a career in all kinds of things. Practical things that I could do. All the women in my family was like, you're going to never need a woman. We're going to take care of you. We're going to teach you how to do all this. And I learned and I've always loved to learn. So, it is crazy because I think I was nine years old, we had this big blizzard. We're the only family that had a snowblower. So we're just kids playing in snow. But I see, we finished our walkway. I see Mr. Grant struggling. And I was like, we got you, Mr. Grant. And he just did the whole neighborhood because we were having fun. Our friends were over there. And then the next week, me and my brother coming home and people would call us to their house. And they'd be like, hey, here's $20. Here's $10. Appreciate you doing my snow. And a hustler was born. And I was like, my parents only give me $5 a week for an allowance, <laughs> And I can make this much. I worked, I had a paper route. I worked at Dolly Madison Ice Cream when I was like 13. I worked at the AV department at the university, wheeling around projectors when I was 14, 15. And in 16, 17, 18, I worked at Mile High Stadium selling Pepsi, the Denver Broncos game, coming home with $400 worth of quarters every game. The original Mile High, right? The original Mile High Stadium. I got the opportunity to see one game there, thankfully. And I am so grateful because as a grown man, I do not fear work. I want it to be hard because I know everybody else is not going to do it. And there's no way around it, no way over it, no way under it. Only way to it is through it. We tell
1: our kids all the time, my wife and I, we tell them all the time in this environment that we're in, this world we're in right now, Mm -hmm. it takes very little to shine above everybody else. You got to put in that little extra effort, energy, and you stand out so much more by doing
0: that. I got a perfect story for you too about that. My father just come with, he used to always come with such wisdom and I was so excited being in the clubs and I was like, man, I'm doing the thing. I'm making money. I'm this, I'm that. And I'm smart, too. I'm smarter than everybody. I figure out everything. I am the man. And he said, yeah, of course you're going to be the man in a den of fools. (laughs) Just, (laughs) But I remembered that, right? And it's not just good enough to be good at where you're at. You have to be prepared for anything that comes your way. So I've just... You know, what I've been able to do to help me do all these things and to go so hard and not get emotionally involved because I have control over my emotions and I don't expect anything. Right. Like you don't plant a seed in fertile soil, sit down, cross your legs and say, OK, seed, I need you to grow. Come on, seed, grow. <laughs> when you're looking at it, it's not growing. This seed don't grow. I quit. How many people we know that have taken a financial course or real estate course think they're going to be rich and it don't go their way? And they're like, well, it wasn't for me. No.
1: Gyms operate on that whole business model, right? Of people
0: quitting. I'm going to sign up 4,000 people and four people
1: are going to show up today. That's it. That's their whole business model.
0: And they quit. But at the same time, they got the recurring payment. (laughs) Right. Right. Crazy, right? Crazy business model. And I play offense right? I play offense. I learn how to learn. It's not enough just to learn. You have to learn how to learn, right? So that's why I'm a part of about 15 organizations. Whenever I need to do something, I needed writers. I went and joined the Editorial Freelancers Association, found every writer I needed. They were telling us we couldn't do shows because we only had one song. And all the booking agents were like, well, you're only, you know, this is after the lawsuit, after we prevailed, you know? And that was a beautiful, that, you know, it was hard because it was like, what are we doing now? <laughs> I was like, I want to go back on the road. And they were like, well, you only got one song, so we can't put you on our web. We don't believe in you. I was like, okay. And I joined the International Entertainment Buyers Association. And then the hierarchy of things, you have the top, which is your buyers. Then you have your venues. Then you have your Live Nations and your, you know, iHeart radios. And then you have the very people who are the mama pops were telling me I couldn't do it. Then you got your managers. Then you got me. I cut out the middleman. Me and Chubby Check, the only black dudes in their convention, 5,000 people. And I'm in there with a big woop. there it is, t-shirt on. And people are coming up to me and I'm, I'm like, I'm DC Glenn, tag team, there it is. I'm got a clean, 90s, nostalgic show. As soon as I said clean, I saw the ears perk up because I learned in rap. They don't want to touch rap because of the insurance and all the other stuff like that, right? But when I said clean, it instantly hit them. And then we've been doing shows ever since, right? Amazing. Because I went to the buyer. Right. The person who actually says, I'm going to put this thing on, go get me the grooves. I went to the buyer. Now that I've imprinted it on the buyer. Buyer. He's like, and call tag teams people too. So the next thing, and I just take those, I built those relationships. I go to all the mixers of that organization. Everybody knows me. So now I got other people advocating for me in that organization for all the people who join it. And every year, people from my high school call me and say, you got, you know, what do you want to tell the class of 2022? And I say, join an organization because you'll find out very soon if it's for you or not, right? Mm -hmm. And you're not just flailing. So anything I want to learn or want to learn how to do, I join an organization. I'm part of that. I'm starting my motivational speaking career because I joined the NSA, National Speakers Association. Right. And I've got mentors who are making $2 million a year. And they're like, you're already halfway there. You have the, the there. Story, right? yeah, you, you have the story, right? You have story, And you go on the road, you're on tour. You know how to be. you're You perform in front of 15, 20,000 people every weekend. And I'm like, and I'm thinking that I have to turn it into something of this and this. And they're like, all you got to do is play that commercial at the beginning, talk some, and then play <laughs> and you're out of uh-huh. so it. They're like, we see you at keynote speeches and stuff like that. But so the national convention, they're preparing me to get up there and get critiqued in front of the best in the business. Mm-hmm. All because I joined an organization. That wouldn't have been possible another way. Right. I would have to go through, I mean, I'm working on a TED talk right now. You see what I'm saying? Like, I, I think
1: your story really lends very well yeah, to a TED yeah, Talk, for sure. Yeah. And that's why don't quit. You got a lot going on. So let's talk about being a voiceover artist and how that helped move your career forward also, because we work with a lot of authors and have heard about the explosion within audiobooks right, mm-hmm. alone. How do you feel audio is going to transform the industry? Do you feel like it's having that kind of effect on it?
0: Hey, man, this week on NBC... the hardest thing I ever had to do. Is that right? And here's the thing. Here's the thing, man. The pandemic is probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. We know the other side is the other side, Mm -hmm. but the pandemic, we're all, as they say, in this together, but everybody had to stop at the same time. So we're all in the Serengeti together. What are you going to be predator or prey? So we all ask ourselves, what are we going to do? Even if you're financially stable, you're like, what am I going to do? Right. Because fear is palpable. You know what I'm saying. So. Can't do shows, can't do this, can't do this, but I can rock this microphone. And I started voiceover in 2009 and I struggled because I thought I could just whoop there it is my way through anything, Mm -hmm. right? And I was wrong. I had went through all those tapes and organized them because I record everything I do. And I organized all those tapes and went back to the first lesson with with Joan Baker and Rudy Gaskins in New York. They're top in the game. And I'm thinking it's their fault because I can't get it. And to hear that 10 years later, it was heartbreaking because I realized that it was me, right? But then at the same time, because I'm an actor, because I didn't give up on voiceover, all the things they were saying, I understood. Let me do this first first script over again. And it was angelic because it was the first time i had had mastery over my voice. So now I do all types of voiceover, commercial. My wheelhouse is commercial, promo, animation, and movie trailer, right? and I'll do some narration, but I'm between so many different worlds that my grammatically speaking is a little difficult to keep in context because I had to go to a speech therapist because I had such a regionalism, right? So every single time I was in a bind, voiceover saved me. And now I get 10 auditions a day, right? I can't even get to them. And because I did voiceover, I got signed with the People Store agency in Atlanta, Georgia, 2017, and I booked instantly. And I'm up there, and the CEO walks in and she's like, Oh my God, I love your face. Put him on camera. What's that mean? You're an actor now. What do I got to <laughs> do? You got to go to class and you got to go, you got to get headshots. Once I went to class, I was in class every day on the weekends for intensives and everything until the pandemic hit. I was booking like crazy, just regional and and local stuff. But I booked my first national commercial for Pizza Hut for March Madness in beginning of February, 2020. That would have been like a hundred thousand dollars and the pandemic hit, but I didn't care because I booked, I knew I belonged. And the beauty of that whole story is that I learned that in life, there are no mistakes. There are no missed opportunities. Because in 1994, I'm in the bowels of Disney teaching the voices of Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse how to rap because we did a Mickey record called <laughs> Where It Went, right? That really started my voiceover career. And I wasn't even thinking about it back then. And I beat myself up for years, but I do voiceover now because sometimes in life, my Aunt Judy tells me this, I said, baby, sometimes in life, we're just not ready. And 1995. I'm in the office, the CEO of New Line Cinema, because my manager knew him. And he's like, man, I think I want to cast you for this new movie. LL Cool J and Wesley Snipes are fighting for the lead, but I want to cast you. It's a vampire movie called Blade. I beat myself up for years. because yeah. There it is. I was like, talk to my manager. Go ahead, talk to my manager. Right? And now I'm an actor. Five movies under my belt, six TV shows, constantly booking. I'm a working actor now. Sometimes in life, we're just not ready and i get to do all these things because people are like you can't possibly do all this or the traditionalists will be say they see the, the industry doesn't work that way you can't do it like this and i'll be like you know what you're right but hey i'm not trying to do everything i'm trying to prepare for everything right like oh man that makes sense and i just shake my head cuz i'm like doing everything is preparing for everything preparation is everything i don't prepare for something that i don't plan on doing I don't plant a seed if I don't do the preparation because I'm looking for mastery, right? right? And people tell me, DC, you're a jack of all trades, master. No, When I was young. My father, everybody. And what they don't realize is that when you don't quit, you become masterful at all those trades and they come back to serve you in ways you could have never imagined. And you become ambidextrous in life and business and entrepreneurship and anything you want to do. And the sky's the limit. And the biggest thing that I've learned how to do is to kill my pride and sequester my ego, right? Because pride and ego kills people. You know, pride keeps your mind closed because you want to win an argument so bad that you'll go down the rabbit hole of untruth and then you end up believing it. Now you're truly lost. I let people win. I'm like, you're right. You're absolutely right. I'm not about to argue with you. We just had somebody
1: on our show, uh, former NFL player, Marcus Ogden. He was the first... I think African-American contractor and the, I think the largest African-American contractor in Maryland grew a business from basically zero to, you know, seven, eight figures and lost it in nine months because, and he blames it to today to ego and now coaches other business owners on how to keep that at bay. And I'll tell you, I think you're a great example of an, uh, you, you definitely have that entrepreneurial mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think you're a testament to being an entrepreneur and being able to make your way through that the challenges that are put in front of you. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't let those challenges hinder them. They figure out a way to either go up or and over or through them in order to get to the other side and hopefully become better, either better people or better businessmen or better husband, wife, or whatever, but they're always looking at those obstacles, not
0: as obstacles. No. As opportunities. Opportunities. Absolutely. I'm not going to argue with you because I love being wrong, (laughs) right? Because being wrong is the path to being right. Right. I can admit it. It kills me inside, of course. Nobody wants to be wrong. I'm like, ah, I was wrong. (laughs) But now my mind is open to every possibility imaginable because I only think of solutions. I think of the most pie in the sky, far-fetched, fantastical solution to any problem that I have or anything I want to do. And people be like, you can't do all that. I was like, you're right, I can't do all that. That can't be it can't be done now, but well, let me inch my way back. What's it look like now? Still can't do it. Inch your way back a little bit more. Wait a minute. You're kinda halfway doing that now. Inch your way back a little more. Wait a minute, wait, wait, oh. If you did this and this is switch this around, inch back a little more, you work your way back to practicality. And what you've just done is you've created a reverse business plan with a stepladder to your goals and dream. You All because are- you thought of the highest, most possible, fantastical solution and worked your way back.
1: You are a visionary at its highest level. So based upon that and your vision and being a visionary. What's up next for DC Glenn? What's the next big thing coming down the pike for you that you're working on? Everything
0: that comes my way. <laughs>
1: What's the one thing that you're most excited about that
0: you know that's coming up? The ability to be my own ad agency and make my own pitches and send out pitch decks and be able to pitch to the ad agencies because I was on the cover of the biggest ad magazine in the world and I will always be remembered and my value ad is bananas right now. I just have to step up to the level of pitching correctly to the right people because everybody's open. People are waiting for me, right? And I do pitch decks for everything now, right? I'm trying to figure, you know, it's almost like putting out demo tapes, right? right. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to do that for every opportunity I get. I do, like I say I do so many of these podcasts that I've got to go to Comic-Con because of a podcast. I got <laughs> I've gotten I got another financial advisor because of a podcast, right? Because I'm looking for people that these podcasts serve such an incredible purpose. Because I'm killing 14 birds with one stone. I'm practicing addiction. I'm practicing articulation. I'm practicing storytelling for acting. I'm practicing all of these things. Testing out analogies. Talking to different people. I told people that I was doing this today. They was like, why? It's like, I can't I'm not even about to even answer your question. <laughs> you gotta ask why. I'm not even gonna ask. Like Everybody doesn't understand why I'm doing all, they think it's extra work. I'm like, this ain't extra work. This is what what is required. I said you, you have the abundance mindset for sure. And here's the thing: I'm just as lazy as the next person. <laughs> I yeah. am, and, but I just do it anyway because you can do two things at one time. You can be lazy and get stuff done, right? Yeah. And the perfect example for that is how I many if you if you work out or any you could run whatever. There are days you don't want to do it. And when you do it, the only thing you say to yourself after you're finished, man, I'm glad I went to the gym today.
1: Right. Always.
0: Always. You just got to push through. You got to push through.
1: So listen, this is the Midland Money Mindset, and we ask each of our guests the same last question. So I'm going to do the same for you, DC. And that is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success?
0: I got up and I started coding JSON-LD, which is schema markup or the website. And I'm trying to get masterful at it. Most people do maybe 10 lines of code. I do 2000 because I know how Google works. Google is a robot. Google is not a person. Google is not in its feelings. Google doesn't know if they like you or not. Google is a robot and the company gives you the recipe how to feed the robot. So what are you going to be? A short order cook or a five-star Michelin chef? I choose the latter. So now everybody's worried about social media and doing all kinds of stupid stuff on TikTok and all that. And that's beautiful for them. I'm not about to do that. My thing is I'm learning how to get in front of the people who want my services. And I tell people all the time, man, you got to do social media. I was like, I do a little, but let me tell you something, young man, I don't need a hundred thousand people to like me. I just need a hundred people to pay me.
1: Right. There you
0: go. Uh, And that's it. Great
1: point. And this is, you, you've wove in the financial aspect and the joy aspect there. So I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So, DC, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And we're going to have all of your information in the show notes. Yes, sir. But if people want to contact you, learn more about you,
0: where is the easiest and best place for them to go and do that? Okay. So here's, here's an SEO uh, mm-hmm. tip for you always make your handles the same. So, if you want to find DC Glenn, you're going to find DC Glenn ATL. You wanna find tag team, all the handles are tag team won't. You keep it symmetrical across every platform, then Google finds you. Then anytime you type in, you don't even have to be, it could just be DC. I'm gonna come up and then you're gonna see everything on the first on in the results. Because I'm, you know, my analogy you did it. Yeah, my analogy is, you know, I'm in a car crash and I break my leg. Hey, call an ambulance. Wait a minute. There's an ambulance right there. We good. Mm-hmm. That's what I try to be to people.
1: There you go. I think that sums it up perfectly. DC, it's been a pleasure having you on today. One I, more I thing. Will... One more
0: thing. One Go more. Thing. Sprinkles <laughs> had to get that off my chest. I appreciate that. Listen, it's a fan
1: favorite in my household. We love the we love the commercial. We love you. My kids can now relate to what we knew from what when you guys uh, originally came out with mm-hmm. the song. Yes. Now our kids can relate, so it's becoming a generational thing, and right. I thank you for that. And it's one of our favorite commercials of all time. So we wish you much success, and we will be watching for more coming from there. D.C. Glenn and hopefully tag team as well. Thank you. Thank you. And make it a great day.
0: You too. Take care.
1: I want to thank D.C. Glenn for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. D.C. Glenn and his musical partner are known for one of the most memorable songs ever in hip-hop history. That song is now the focus of one of the most memorable commercials of all time. D.C. Glenn's career is one that has had its ups and downs, and he now works with others in his industry and outside of it to mentor them and help them be successful in their endeavors, and he's really focused on giving back. D.C. Glenn and tag team back again can be found across all social media platforms and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit Call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money.